I'm Josh Cooperman, and this is Convo by Design, featuring another installment of our collaborative series with Walker Zenger called The Showroom, featuring rising design star, Mikkel Welch. One of my greatest joys in producing Convo by Design is the exploration for and discovery of new design and architecture talent. I was familiar with Mikkel's work before but we had never met. Welch is producing some amazing design work. Mikkel incorporates rustic charm, modern, clean lines, hints of regency, handcrafted tribal art. This blend is masterfully worked, and along with an often present horse. I mention this because if the horse was, in fact, Mikkel's spirit animal, it wouldn't surprise me. The horse represents a driving force in life. What carries you? It represents strong, passionate desires and balance between the tame and instinctual elements of one's personality. Now, I'm not trying to get too woo-woo here, but I am seeing something. And as you listen to my chat with Mikkel Welch, I, I think you might as well. Thank you for listening to this episode of Convo by Design. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single episode. You can also follow along convobydesign.com and at convobydesign with an X on Instagram. Convo by Design is presented by Walker Zenger, a forward acting brand that has built on the promise to provide designers and architects with the right materials to do their best work. That promise is fulfilled every day through a commitment to provide the best ceramic, glass, stone, porcelain, and concrete surfaces and finishes. This is a family business with over 65 years of global product discovery, sourcing, and manufacturing the finest products available. Walker Zanger believes strongly in serving the trade with a trade program to make the specifying process simple with the support you need. They also have been staunch supporters of the trade since 1952. Check out their collaborative line with designer Pieta Donovan, a collection of cement and ceramic tiles inspired by the patterns and colorways of the 1970s and created with a comfortable modernity. Please also make sure to join us for an interactive video series called The Showroom, where you can find some of the most innovative designers talking about their creations. This is just another example of how Walker Zanger is on the cutting edge of design, featuring products for every style and architectural feel you can create. Check out any of their showrooms across the country or shop online, walkerzanger.com. Well, welcome, everyone. We appreciate you joining us today. Thank you all for muting your lines. I appreciate that greatly. Um, please do use the chat feature to send any questions, and I am happy to monitor that for Josh. Um, with that, I will hand it over to Josh Cooperman. Thank you, Erica. Thank you, Erica. Uh, uh, Mikkel, welcome. Thanks um, for having me. I, I'm thrilled that you're here. Here's what we're doing today. So this is the showroom presented by Walker Zanger. And we're, we're having a chat about design and TV and not being able to say no and so many other things. My list for you is so long and I'm really looking forward to this. Um, my name is Josh Cooperman. I'm the host and publisher of Convo by Design, a podcast for the design and architecture space. And um, 
If you like the conversation you hear today, and I, I hope that you do, uh, it will be rebroadcast as a podcast on Convo by Design. So you will be aware of that. So you can always keep track of the podcast. And um, if you subscribe, you'll get it automatically. Mikhail Welsh, thank you so much for joining us today. I, I Like we were talking about, I, I love doing this. I would love it more if we were in the same room so that we could laugh louder, but we'll take this until we can get it. How are you today? I'm doing good. You know, just uh, taking it all in, trying to enjoy these last few days of what I call summer-ish weather. So I've been great. <laughs> summer-ish. I'll take that. A um, couple of things. I was really excited to talk to you about. And the first thing that, the first thing I want to lead into is pretty much one of the last things we talked about when you and I last spoke. And that is your work as a set decorator. Okay. I, have, I have spoken to set decorators before. And one of the most unique and interesting things about that particular side of the business, and by the way, not every set decorator is a designer and not every designer sure. is a set decorator. But the one, the one thing that set decorators have in their repertoire is they walk without they they walk the tightrope without a net. You you yeah. can't say you can't say no. No, no is not an option. Like that's the one thing I, I kind of wish everyone knew about television. Like literally, when they say the show must go on, the show is going to go on whether you're ready or not. So. Like we were kind of talking the other day, I always like how people have always say like, have a plan A, have a plan B. No, in television, you need a plan E and F and G and so on because the show will go on. And when they say, you know, action, um, you know, time is literally money. And so um, that's taught me a lot just in design in general, even just like working with clients and always just being prepared. So. Yes, it's drastically different. <laughs> and, he, and here's why I bring it up, because in, in my conversations with set decorators who I've, yes. I've spoken to for years, and I have a deep admiration for that business because there is, you know, we can always, in, in, in our regular lives, we can always say no but, no yeah. and, and, mm -hmm. you know, maybe later, maybe you don't, maybe you go <laughs> someone and you don't pick up the phone. When, when you are in an industry where you cannot say no, where it has to happen, and yes. you're, you're, it's tantamount to, de to real design anyway, you have to make it happen. I'm curious how that's changed your approach as an interior designer. Um, you know what? As an interior designer, what that has really taught me is the art of, of being prepared and to consistently find myself um, in a place where I'm anticipating things that could potentially go wrong. Like what happens if, you know, this beautiful fabric that we've now ordered because I couldn't physically go into a showroom and I'm trusting my vendor, like what if it doesn't come off, you know, exactly how I plan? I just have to think about things differently and like how I'm gonna word that to the client. And as we all know, for those who are designers, a lot of what we do is psychology, right? And it's the word play and it's how you spin it and how you problem solve. And so I think that background and set design has really set me up for that. You know, also in set design, what most people don't know is I don't get to just make 
anything that I want to make. There are typically eight chiefs that you're gonna have the executive producer, the co-executive producer, and all of these producers, all eight people want to keep their job. So they all want job security. So all eight have to give you some type of critique. So you're always trying to make this team of people happy as opposed to with a client, it's just a husband and a wife. So um, it, it, it kind of just prepares you to always <laughs> Um, have a backup plan and to be able to smooth things over. And I, I just really think that that's helped me out tremendously. I'm curious. Yes. So in scripted yes. set, set decorators, you know, in, in, in movies and TV, there is this, there's this fantastic thing that, that set decorators have where okay. it is your set. So when you dress the set, when you decorate that set, it is your set and it's not open until you say it's open. That's inscripted. I'm curious though, in reality, specifically home and design reality, do you still have that opportunity or is it moving so fast that it's just kind of like, like fluid? Um, no, it's never fluid. Literally, we are like painting things at the last second. Like sometimes I'm like, okay, put the picture frame on the wall because we need to cover up, you know, that piece of paint that just didn't dry properly or, you know, so it's like always at the last second. It's like, don't touch it. Just look at it. No, it's never really your set. Um, and so as much as I would love to tell you that, you know, with the property brothers and, you know, and Fixer Upper and all those shows, we are all plagued with the same thing. You know, we're up against these tight deadlines. And so, um, you know, we try to make the best design solutions, but a lot of times, like, it's not your set. Um, honestly, the set belongs to time. <laughs> so time is really dictating um, what you have the capacity to do. So nothing is it's ever really, really mine, per se. Um, I just get to put my stamp on it. Yeah, right. And I love that. One of the things that is yours um, is when you get back to designing for clients yes. or, or even for a show house. Have you ever done a design house? Oh, gosh. Yes. Okay, I so, yeah, go love ahead. a show house. Um, I've done four now. Okay. So the, actually, you know what? Brooklyn. Yes. Is that the, it, that's the one. Mm -hmm. And so, yes. go ahead. Tell me about that. Okay. So that was so much fun. Um, and so for those who are listening... I love designer show houses and uh, I partnered with Walker Zanger for the Brooklyn Heights designer show house. And I'm going to tell on myself because I, I'm really big about just being transparent. So this was my fourth show house that I got to do. And it's with Tony Manning. And he did like the Hampton designer show house. And I've done like two of those. So I'm like, okay, Tony's going to look out for me. I'm going to get the best room in the house. And he's like, so Mikhail, you have the lower level. And I'm like, the basement? I don't want the basement. And so I'm like being like mini diva over here, like having this moment. But it ended up being the best thing that could have ever happened. Um, I had a space that was basically the entertainment room. And it ended up being a lower level with a fireplace. I had a mini um, kind of, I had a wet bar. And that's where I got to walk, work with Walker Zanger and just like totally outfit that space, uh, put brand new tile up. I even had a custom uh, Walker Zanger um, uh, marble that I used for the countertop. And the room ended up 
being the one place where we had so much traffic coming in because I had an actual bar. And so every event was hosted in that space. So consequently, all of the press would come to my room and we would take photos. So it ended up being the best thing that could have ever happened. Um, I like to say that photo broke the design internet because it got posted by like Studio McGee and you know, Amber Interiors and Emily Henderson and all these big names. And then I got a call from, or I should say, I got a direct message from Joanna Gaines herself off of that one room. So that just goes to show you those show houses. You never know what's going to come from it. I want to get back to that, the show house in a second, but I'm curious. Yes. Has, that is one of the things like I, I have found in design houses, showcase houses in particular, it feels to me like the smaller, weirder, stranger room you have, the more yeah. attention you're going to get. <laughs> and that is true because you have a, a trickier set of parameters that you have to work around. And I think people kind of applaud that weird space when they walk through it. It was just like, hmm. I don't know how I would have pulled that off or I could never have pulled that off. And so I do think, um, you know, as opposed to like a standard bathroom or living room or bedroom, it is drastically different. Um, and so I, I do think you get that applause. Um, it's a little bit louder. That thunder is much louder when you take on um, a, a risky space. Has it changed the way you look? Because let's be honest, we all have that weird, strange what is this room? What is its purpose? Why is it here? We all have that in our house at some, in some place, unless it's yeah. a perfectly designed home. Does that, has this changed the manner in which you think about that odd space in the home? Um, yes. Uh, you know, I think odd spaces honestly allow interior designers an opportunity to really flex your design muscle. Cause let's be honest, like, you know, that same little 14 by 14 box that we all have, we've got that down to a science. And I think when you have those odd spaces, that's what really challenges you and makes you a designer. Because again, anybody can go to home goods and like whirl around and, you know, get lucky <laughs> with uh, the, the perfect, room but when you have like odd dimensions and you know like for instance even just in that home in general the home that we made over was from like the 1800s and and back then those measurements were just not you know the best and so even things that were like i will never forget my sofa we were trying to get to come down the staircase um the staircase was wide at the top and it got narrow as we begin to get to the end of the staircase. So I ended up having to switch my sofa because we measured the top of the stairs, but not the bottom. And I'm like, I didn't even think that we need to measure down the entire staircase, but you know, it just wasn't a standard size. But we, I, again, most designers would have probably freaked out. They would have cried. They would have lost their mind. It's two days before the show house. And I've already got like three sofas, you know, that I'm ready. It wasn't my favorite sofa, but you know, I'm like, you know what? Plan D will work. And so that's what you, you have to, you have to make it work and you have to, you know, oftentimes I will also say, I feel like mistakes are, my greatest mistakes are the ones that turned out to be um, the, the most beneficial projects for me. And they always turn out to be the best. You know what? I, I could not possibly agree with you more. 
it's so funny. You know, listen, the, the podcast, Convo by Design, the reason I do the podcast is because I was producing my first ever design house in Hollywood, small space, big style. And with a background in, in broadcast, I didn't record any of it. None of the stories, none of the parties, none of the events. I didn't record anything. And um, I was left at the end of this thing with no content. And I felt like an idiot. And, uh. I, said, and I was like, you know what? I, I want to make sure that this failure never happens again. And right. I found, but you know, it's the same thing to your point. That's exactly right. I was thinking of something else too. When, when you're dealing with this, and that is the set decorator in you, right? That's like, okay, well, I've got, I've got an entry point that's this size and an exit point that, that, that's that size. Can't you kind of see like the trades working at a time when, when you know, the rules are a little looser and maybe they started the, the stairway early in the morning when everyone was fresh and after a few beers or something at the end of the day, <laughs> you wind up with a narrower staircase. Yeah, I mean, I think we totally had those same, you know, those same issues and those same hiccups, you know, mistakes happen. And a lot of times, you know, we I, I can think about a project that I had. Um, I worked on the Real Housewives of Atlanta, and I was designing a 5,000 square foot basement. And my contractors didn't pitch the, um, the shower properly. And it was one of those things when I walked in the next day, we're like, wait a minute, hold on. How was the, the, the water going to drain? And so it, it was one of those things we had to correct immediately. But I think we're all plagued with those same things. And it's really about how you problem solve before you have to bring the client into the equation. Because hopefully, just like me, hopefully I can catch something before my director catches it. Then it's not an issue. Um, Everybody knows on set, like I talk a lot. And if I'm not talking, then they know, okay, wait a minute, something's not right. Like <laughs> you're trying to handle something. But I mean, the bottom line is as long as it gets done, I think that that's the bottom line. Like with clients, like clients, I pride myself on always having an answer. And again, that's that set design background where I'm always kind of thinking ahead. And as long as you have an answer for the client, um, I feel like, you know, they feel more confident in you as a designer because you're giving them solutions and not excuses. Nobody, you know, you know what you are, you are a hundred percent right. And I think that that's the thing you talked about psychology yes. and psychology is absolutely true. The one thing, and I think maybe that's it. Maybe I've never really made that connection before. And I think you just nailed it. The connection between the skill set of a set decorator and the skill set of an interior designer and how the two merge back and forth really well is in communication. Like, have you ever been in a situation where something was wrong and then they have to find out by the client or director where they have to find out by themselves, they're always going to be mad. If you go to them and say, hey, mistake was made. I got it. Yes. We're going to fix it. It's, it's never a problem. It's, it's a much easier problem to okay. to handle um and i've always been taught like just kind of you know get ahead of the ball you know the last thing you want is that ball rolling you over and so if you can you know step in and offer those solutions up front um you know i think that's important you know especially like with walker zinger you understand like making sure that my numbers are right when i'm doing those tile estimations and sometimes my contractor you know i'm I'm not a tile estimator. I'm going off of what my project manager has told me. And oftentimes, you know, it can be off. And 
you know, trying to prevent that in the beginning and buffering that extra 15 to 20% and getting the client to understand why we do that. So, um, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, like you said, that, that problem solving. Yeah. And I think at one point, what I'd like to do is, um, Erica, maybe we can find out what Mikkel specified um, for that. Pro- do you know offhand? I'm not sure that you do. But if you don't, maybe we can also post some, some images because it's very cool. It was Thank our uh, Sixth Avenue Chevron. And um, we, we have posted those images on our social media today. Oh, fantastic. So they can go right now and find out. What is, what is the handle? Uh, at Walker Zinger. Perfect. We kept it simple. <laughs> All right, because so, I think it's just, it's such a great look and I, and I love that. Um, something else that I wanted to talk to you about with regard to your design, and I'm, you are one of these designers that goes by aesthetic and look and feel, not by cost. So it doesn't have to be expensive. And I think that that is, it's an extraordinary, <clears throat> it's an extraordinary skill to have because I mean, anyone can spend an infinite amount of money and make something absolutely amazing. The right. artistry comes in the blend and the edit, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, going back to like with television, everybody thinks we have these like huge budgets and we really don't. And so what that has really taught me how to do is to stretch things. I live in this weird world, which typically doesn't work, where either you're a high-end designer or you're a television designer. And that's kind of what I was taught in the beginning. And I'm one of those people who buck the system and say, no, you can't tell me that. Um, So in doing so, I have to always do my due diligence in making sure that I protect my design. Like, if I'm going to put if the, the room is sponsored by Ikea, I have to use Ikea, but I need to be able to mix that with some Walker's Anger tile in the back and, you know, some Scala Madre fabric. I need to be able to weave those worlds together or else I'll just lose my credibility, you know, in the high-end world. So I think it's just a matter of like learning how to make those worlds kind of collide. And that is something that I have, I've worked really hard to do because it's not easy. Um, but it's important, you know, design doesn't have to be super expensive. And like I always tell my high-end friends, because we, we get into some, some debates, my, the woman who is looking <laughs> for a high-end design does not want her kitchen outfitted at Ikea. Like she's just not the same woman. And so they are different worlds in a sense. But what I enjoy is being able to take pieces and, and elements of that high-end design and to help that woman who has survived breast cancer and now we're giving her a brand new makeover. So my television design, I love those projects um, because it's typically we're walking into a situation where it's a deserving family, something has happened, something traumatic has happened. And they don't care if you gave them a $200 gift card to Ross. They're just happy that you gave them something. And so I appreciate both sides of that, um, the spectrum, just like I love my high-end clients because they're the ones who pay attention to detail. They want to know the history behind the pieces. And, you know, they're, they're excited about the thread counts and et cetera. So they're different worlds, but you just have to kind of make them merge when you can. <laughs> And it's funny because I'm imagining you with one of your high-end clients where you're just, it's not sliding it in, but if something looks good, it looks good, right? So if you find something from Ikea, but it fits with 
with the look and feel, you're still throwing it in there. And it, I guess that, that always comes down to what looks good in your, in your eye. And I feel like, I'm curious if you agree, that high-end design attitudes have become a little bit more tolerant and open to maybe that high-low mix. Thank you. Yeah, no, I, I, I would agree. I think that the high-low mix um, is a thing across the board. And who doesn't like a high-low mix? Even my high-end clients, you know, they're like, you know, yes, we have the budget to spend, but they don't want me to splurge on everything. You know, it's like, let's use the Walker Zanger tile. However, can we go somewhere local and maybe have, you know, the cabinetry outfitted, you know, from our local dealer around the corner? So, um, I think everybody likes that that kind of high end low uh, across the board. Um, and, I mean, let's. I mean, if we were all to ask ourselves right now, like, would we want to go all high end? Maybe not. Like, you know, let's give me a balance a balance of both. But I think it's it's that option. You know, it's having that option. And speaking of option, um, the set designer in me hated the fact that my jacket. <laughs> was shiny so i had my i was i don't know if you guys saw me i was mouthing to wardrobe aka my friend over there to give me a new jacket and see it's always about having a plan b so now i don't have to have that tv uh the in tv we call it moray when the fabric moves and this was moving too much for me so now we're back and by the way thank you for pulling off the first wardrobe change during the showroom. It has never been done before. And I guarantee you, it will never be done as smoothly. That was amazing. Thank you. (laughs) Um, Switching gears a little bit. I I am, I I was reading your blog and I I like your blog and I, I like your approach to things. And one of the things in particular was I have a pet peeve and one of my pet, I have a few, but one of them is, um, color color of the year okay <laughs> i get it i i get it but people don't design every year for a different color yeah it's but it's inspiration i yes. I, I i totally get it one yeah. of the things that you had was your best year-round paint colors yes i like that design approach i like the approach that says hey listen in order to be cool you don't have to have this one color but you know, here are some options that will always be uh, that will always be popular. That you can always know that you're going to be safe with. Have you always sort of approached color that way, or is that a is that a relatively new idea for you? Uh, honestly, I and you're going to get me in so much trouble today, Josh. As you're asking me that question, a brand that I won't mention. Um, announced their color of the year, and I'm supposed to talk about that later. So between uh, the, the 80 of us in the room today, I will say I appreciate the color of the year because it makes us kind of like, as designers, focus on something and to try to like find a way to make it work. As someone who works with clients on an everyday basis, I can't necessarily force them to choose one particular color. So I prefer to have a couple of colors that are kind of like my brand colors, if you will. And I feel like these are within my wheelhouse. And these are the colors that I think would work for my clients over a span of time. And so that's what I would prefer to do. You know, I think having a color, I mean, having the color of the year is great, but what if I don't like turquoise? Like, I mean, well, then what do I do? Like, do I tap out until next year? So no, I don't, I don't want anybody to feel like, you know, there's one color that they just have to stick to. So I try to, I try to work with a palette. 
if so if i'm not a coral fan i'm just going with white until <laughs> until millennium yeah, you, pink gotta, is done. you gotta wait to 2023 it's just it's just not your you're not your year sorry <laughs> yeah and and again you know it, i think you know what i think it is i think it's a pet peeve because i would prefer that if they're first of all i think this is the year of color i don't think that any any color of the year defines where we are in in any way right now but i do think that if there are colors of the year, it should be designer led. I think the design community should define, hey, here's what we're seeing, here's what we're working with, here's what we're being told. And speaking of that, one of the things that I love most about paint is the naming. You know, I was looking at your list. <laughs> if I could have another job, it would be that of a paint namer. Really? That would oh. stress me out. Oh, are you kidding? So I was looking at your list. You have Pharaoh and Balls, Mole's breath. Oh, love that color. Hands down. That it's amazing. Is, that is a winner. Like the name is aggressive, but I'm telling you that color, like that gray color. Oh my. Oh, can I tell you a quick funny story? Sorry to cut you off. So that mole's breath color, I told you I love a show house. So when I did the Hampton design show house, I painted the walls in mole's breath, Jamie Drake who is like the godfather of design, walks into my room and he's like, he taps me and he's like, listen, this is one of my favorites. And I'm gonna tell you that because he said, I don't even like neutral colors, but he said, you know, that's one of the main reasons why I can say that, you know, you did a knockout job with this. So Mole's Breath, if you put that on the wall, Jamie Drake will love it. And, and I love it. It's an amazing, it's, it's amazing. It's, it's rich and it, it just, it's a strong, rich color. Yes. Um, bear had their elephant skin, mm -hmm. which again, it's a, it's that rich gray, which I think, yes. but again, very cool name. Um, my favorite though, yes, was Pharaoh and Balls off black. Yes. Oh, I just love a rich moody color. Um, you know, I, I, as you can see, like my house, I have white walls, but I love a moody color. It's something about a moody tone that just really sets the vibe right in a space for me. Um, and I kind of like that, that like, it's not exactly a dark black, it's kind of like a, an off black. Like an off black. Yeah, it's soothing. Well, and, and that's the thing, I think because, um, you know, in so many conversations about small spaces in particular and use of dark colors, which, is, which has been, it's been really popular for the last, for the last few years. And I think designers, I feel, you know what I feel like de design television has given designers permission to explore and to try new things. Absolutely. And I think, you know what, as designers, a lot of times um, that that's our job is to empower other people to give them permission. Because when I talk to so many clients, they don't realize what they can do in their own homes and they're waiting for somebody to give them permission to do something and it's so interesting because typically it's like these ceos of these companies they run these fortune 500 companies but they need somebody to tell them that it's okay to take down that non-load bearing wall like why did you need my permission to do that like but they wait because they don't know what to do and thank god they don't because then that you know keeps some cash flow in our pockets but they just they don't know and so it's our job to kind of educate them um and to empower and again it's going back to that psychology I, I feel like design psychology should be like that that's a whole 
like course in itself, but it's really us, you know, empowering these clients to let them know that, hey, it's all right, you can do it. There is no easy way for this segue. So I'm just, I'm just throwing it in. Go, go for it. I changed my jacket. So I think everything is like fair game at this point. We started talking last time about your new show. And I am so intrigued, freaked out, and just utterly curious uh, about Murder House Flip. Oh, gosh. Okay. So let me give some context before everybody starts logging off. So in television, a lot of times, it's kind of like when you apply for a new job or with a new client, you don't know what you're going to walk into. So my agent called me, and I got a call to do a new show on a new network called Quibi, which is a new phone app. Um, And when they called me, I'm like, I love a design show. Tell me about it. And it was called Murder House Flip. And I'm like, um, this is like satire. Like, is this Saturday Night Live, like a skit? What is this? But it was real. Uh, Honestly, what my show is, is myself and my host, Joelle, we go into homes where iconic murders happen. And they happen like prior to like the early 90s when we could have gone online to Google and to find out what happened in these homes. And so unless you were on microfiche looking, like you just didn't know what happened. So these people buy these homes and then your neighbor rings the doorbell and they're like, hey, so you bought the Johnson house. And you're like, well, what is the Johnson house? And that's when you find out. So we're helping these people who are like, it's traumatic. Like they didn't know what happened. Uh, Well, most didn't, some knew. Like, I mean, honestly, if you're in a $1 million neighborhood and they're selling the house for $400,000, something happened. So, you know, we, we do have those type of scenarios, but we're just trying to go in and help them, uh, you know, change their mindset, change the space. And it's scary to me still to this day. Well, talking about scary, you said the word microfiche, which I think maybe five of us on this call have any idea what that actually is. <laughs> 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 but in any case, um, it is interesting. And it's a little, it, it freaks me out a little bit. Me too. And I'm cu- and I'm curious when, how many how many homes have you done now? Uh, okay, so um, Quibi, our platform is broken up where each episode is like five minutes, and so our houses uh, we did four houses for the pilot season, um, and each episode like I said is like less than ten minutes, so we did four houses total. Uh, we just got green lit for season two, so we'll have a couple of more houses coming up very soon. What's the strangest thing you saw? Um, the strangest thing that I actually saw, I don't know if you want me to tell you that. Um, I, I think the weirdest thing is that we pulled up some tile. Uh, it wasn't Walker's Anger tile, so don't be afraid of that. Um, but we pulled up some tile, and when we pulled up tile in the bathroom, there was um, some dry uh, bodily fluid that we like that when we clean the space there's a special solution that we have to apply and it like it's almost like a hydrogen hydrogen peroxide and it foams up when it's in contact with blood and so um we did find it you know it's funny to me though you're like i don't know if i should tell you this It's like, I would, that's kind of what I expected. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's the truth. I mean, I won't, I, I mean, I, what I really wanted to say is I mean, we went into a space where a man like killed his wife in the bathtub. Like it was, it's graphic, it's gory. 
Um, and I'm plagued with going in there and ripping all of these things out of the space because what we have to do is make it look completely different. Because again, going back to design psychology, when you walk back into that space that you can no longer sell, I need to make it look drastically different. So I need to tear down walls. I need to tear out a lot of things because when you walk back into the space after all these cameras leave, I really need you to feel good about being in the space. And so that was probably one of the worst, um, things that we saw it just it made it a little too real i get it well it's it's interesting too because and again this is a hard this is a hard segue but you think about homes that are are used hard and yeah. and somewhat abused i got news for you when we finally do come out of this covid pandemic you're gonna have some homes <laughs> that have been used hard and yeah. abused uh yeah. i think i think most and by the way I'm curious in, as to your thoughts on this, but I feel like 21 is going to be an absolutely groundbreaking year for design and architecture. Oh, I think so too. I mean, I think a lot of things are just going to change. Um, you know, just thinking about now and how much we use like a brace of cleaners, I think the way that uh, fabric manufacturers and even Walker Zanger, I think when you when you guys think about your tiles and you know the dye lots and whatnot, I think that's going to restructure differently because it's going to have to because now we're just constantly clean, 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 clean. Like everything is being sanitized, so I think we're going to look at that completely different. Um, you know. Who knows what's to come next? But I even think with design, when we start to begin to like now, like in New York, we're about to start opening up restaurants. We still have to be socially distanced. I think we're going to see like more communal spaces that are now going to become singular type of situations. So instead of walking into hotel lobbies where you see like sofas, I think we are going to see more singular club chairs and just how we have to navigate that space differently. I'm sure like people who are into techie products, the techie world is going to go crazy because I think now every single hotel room that you walk into is going to have some type of smart technology where we're going to be able to either talk or call something out so that we don't have to touch anything. And so I do think the design industry is in for a, a major shift um, very soon. Curious how that's affected the way that you run and operate your business from a stand from a tech standpoint are are you are you looking more actively are you working more tech into your residential design and also um how you're approaching the uh samples and your library is your library getting bigger is it changing out more rapidly how are you getting new samples how are you specifying and researching new product okay so with the samples in the beginning i will say like i would say may may june july like in the early months i was relying heavily on my vendors so i might have to call my walker zanger rep and say hey like since i can't physically come in and you're not physically at your showroom and you have these samples you know with you could you pair it up to my sherwin williams paint and we were kind of like matching things that way the same with fabric now that things have opened up i mean yes it's not a hundred percent back to normal but um my sample library in the beginning like i said it was a lot of me just trusting my vendors which i appreciate it but i think now things are going to open up because now i've had to have more conversations with vendors that i typically would have just come in and handled myself 
And so um, I'm excited because it's kind of forced us to have go back to the old school way of having to trust and rely on our vendors. And I think that's what our industry is really missing. I think we got we we've gotten like technology can be good for some things, but I think we we have almost gotten to a place where it's like no one wants any type of contact or inter interaction. It's just like email it to me, zip it to me, and it's like it's been nice to actually sit down with the tradesperson and let them do more than just execute a PO. Like they're really there to facilitate a need. And I appreciate us going back to that kind of like archaic system, if you will. But I think it was necessary and it was needed. Um, so my sample library is growing and I'm also glad that with having these conversations my vendors know what to specifically look for and they can send me things that speak to me as opposed to just sending me this random package of like you know floor the new florals and i'm like i don't even use florals in my design so now they can like be a little more specific and targeted in their approach and so um yeah so my sample library is beginning to to widen but it's also more specific it's interesting too because we were on this on this downward trend where mm -hmm. designers and architects were were sh in the process of shrinking yes. their internal libraries because everything was available via digital uh, opportunity or some outlet. No, not the same. It's not right. Not the same. Oh my gosh! And there's nothing more disappointing than you know trying to take your fabric swatch and line it up to the computer and then when you get it it's just like this is not what i asked for and it's just not the same and it's like that's something with that plan a b c and d sometimes you can't get around that and you know when you've really sold something like on your mood board and the client is loving that visual representation and then it falls flat like it's hard to recover from that especially like now when you know well now we can you know run to the mart and we can you know swap fabrics out but before like no when COVID first started it was kind of like no you need to like you need someone there who you can trust you know from what you've seen on the residential side what are you being asked to do now what are what are your clients asking of you um that maybe they weren't asking for at the start of this year Oh, I think that's easy. Uh, the two things that I'm getting requests for, most importantly, are spaces for um, my clients to have some type of workout facility area in their home. And then the other thing I'm getting is, how do you help me not make my dining room slash kitchen like help us because it's become a classroom. And so now everyone wants like a dedicated space and they don't all have the room for it. So it's just like, okay, how do we convert the basement? Or how do we convert, you know, this special area in our home so that the family can make sense of the space? And so most of mine has all been like, how do we make that living and work balance happen in the house with everybody now being at home? Wow, it, it is all about the slash, isn't it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. With, with that, I think, come some other challenges and some other things that we haven't really considered in the past. Um, I, I think noise abatement, I guarantee you, everyone in the country now knows whose dogs bark during the day. 
they yeah. know they know when the trash man comes you know yeah. when your neighbor's lawn is being mowed you know if yeah. they've got a blower or <laughs> yes you we know, know everything yes we know everything <laughs> we probably know more about our neighbors during the day than we wanted to yes and <laughs> and um you know because of that there are you know noise abatement air quality mm -hmm. um light and limitation of light and you know sort of how to approach all of these things which i feel like you've definitely got the tech side of it yeah. from a from a bandwidth standpoint and you put you put a family of four on a network where everyone's working oh. going to <laughs> school with that <laughs> right <laughs> so on the tech side one of the biggest struggles that i've seen many designers have and i i don't see it with you um is how you balance tech and design. Well, I think you have to approach them at the same time. Like it can't be an afterthought. I think the two have to work together. And I think it's about honesty. Like I'm not a tech guru. And so that's when I rely on my vendors to like help me make sense. Like I have this beautiful dining table. I somehow need to like the husband wants to work you know from this table but at the same time you know the wife doesn't want to see all these cords dangling it's just like how do we aesthetically make this work and not make it look like you know some super corporate you know dining table so i again you know it's me having conversations and i'm i'm always the first person to tell like my team, what I don't feel comfortable with and what I want their input in, I think is about being honest because as a designer, I don't have the answer to everything. Um, and, and that's why I rely on my team to say, hey, let's think, help me think about this differently. And I, recently I just hired two new designers and they're, I'm 40 years old. And so they're a little bit younger because I need some millennials to like teach me some things. And so I think it's really just about um, being honest with yourself and your capacity. And if you don't know something, ask um, and, instead of just assuming. Speaking of asking, um, we got some questions uh, yeah. from the group and there's uh, Julianne, asked, and I, I love this one, this is really interesting. Have you ever had your design friends critique your set designs? I know my friends wait for me to make comments about the sets in movies and TV. All the time. I won't call, I have one friend who I will not call out, but um, I constantly have to do these like look for lessons. So I had to make this Mitchell, uh, Mitchell Gold, Bob Williams, like furry little chair and I had to do my DIY version from it. And my friend sent me like a message on my phone and was like, no, no, no. And so I do get both, uh, I, I do get critiqued, um, but it, it's fine. I don't expect my friends who do high-end design to understand that world, but they also don't understand that, you know, I may have been given this project 48 hours ago. And so I need to get it done. It's off in the back corner and I'm selling a look on television. So, you know, some things I can, I can get away with. Um, like no one can, you can't feel an 800 thread count or 1200 thread count sheet quality on television. So I can go to, I can go to, I don't know, the Dollar Tree or Walmart. No one will ever know. It'll just look like a white sheet. So, you know, I have to learn when to let those things go. But oh, my friends, they'll, they'll come for me. They will at the same time. And to your point, these are two completely different industries. Yes, they are. 
They and are. I think that that's the important thing to really recognize is that, you know, is TV is one thing, reality is another. Um, yeah. uh, here's another one. Teresa sent through a ton of really good questions. I'm going to ask a couple of them. I'm going to combine this one um, because I think it's interesting. How do you keep your designs new and, new and fresh and where do you find your inspiration? Um, for me, Instagram, that's my biggest source of inspiration. I feel like my design style is always evolving. Um, for the longest time, I've been into like this whole like primitive, modern design aesthetic, which I feel like is me at the core. Um, but I'm learning to like now, one thing, I'm a person who always worked in neutrals and now I'm beginning to introduce new color into my spaces. And I think for me, it's just about playing around. Um, and stepping outside of my box. I never want to get pigeonholed so far because I think a lot of times designers fall into a rut where even I've been looking like Joanna Gaines who has been like shiplap, shiplap, shiplap. (laughs) You know, she's been trademarked for that, but she's not a one trick pony. So I've been getting to look at her work. She's like slowly gone away from that and it's now kind of changing and evolving. And I think as designers, we all have to do that because let's face it, you know, after 10 years, a design style becomes kind of passe unless it is something iconic like mid-century modern per se, it just becomes passe. So I think we all are constantly plagued with how we, you know, reinvent ourselves. And I think for me, it's just, you know, looking at other designers work and just seeing what works and is authentic with my design aesthetic. I never want to be something else, but I'm constantly evolving and changing. And it's just honestly studying Instagram and seeing, you know, what works. I mean, because everything isn't going to work. Like I remember a couple of years ago, like, there it was this big movement with like millennial pink and like these big like abstract designs that look like saved by the bell okay well that doesn't work for me but not to say that, that won't work for someone else i think it's knowing your lane and staying in it but it's okay when you're driving on the freeway if you're in the fast lane you can get in the middle for a second and see what's going on in that slow lane and that fast lane for a second and you see where where you want to be those are such great points. And, and by the way, Jay, yes, there are some images. If you go to Walker Zanger on Instagram, um, you can see some there and, and we'll post more. Mikhail, those are really great points. I, so I have this, I have this theory. Um, I tell the story quite often and I may have told you. So if I, I tell the same stories over, I can't help it. Um, when I started doing the podcast, I would ask designers, I would say, so what's your style? It's not a stupid question. You're laughing. It's not a stupid question. It's a pedestrian question, right? It's like, that's so rudimentary. It's just so basic. It's such a basic question to ask. It took me a while to understand that designers, really accomplished, talented designers, it's not that they have a style to your point. You know, you can do mid-century modern, you could do traditional, you could do Spanish revival, you could do whatever you want to do, but you will have a fingerprint. You will have, you will have a, you will have that fingerprint, which is woven some through lines. You will have some things that are, that are woven into the design itself where someone who's got a keen eye, who knows your work will walk in and say, Oh, Mikhail did this, did this room. I can, I can tell because of, this or that or the other thing. So I I think that that's really important. And back to your point, you should, as an artist, as a creative, you should always have the ability and the desire to to learn new things and 
and to try new things, even if yeah. they fail spectacularly, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, as designers, we have, we're risk takers. We're not there to play it safe or you could have went to home goods on your own and done it. So I think we're there to push those limits and those boundaries. And I do agree. Yes, there is always going to be, you know, some, some level of synergy between each one of your designs, even as a designer, when you don't think so, because I've tried, you know, some different design aesthetics and my friends will come back to me and say, Oh, I knew that was yours. And I'm like, well, how did you know? I'm like, I changed it up. And they're like, well, you did. But, you know, I saw a couple of things like I love horses and like all of my designs. Don't ask me why it was not. It's a, I, I didn't even think about it. I just see a horse. I'm like, oh, that's cute. But I never even like when I looked at like seven of my projects, I'm like, oh, my gosh, I always have a horse. I don't even like horses. But I found myself like putting horses <laughs> like throughout my designs. And so um, it just, there's always going to be, like you said, there's, there's something there. I'm, I'm, I'm curious though. Um, when you notice that, do you then go back and fight yourself? Do you say, okay, well, I can't put any horses in the next five designs or, or do you recognize that it's something that works for you and you go with it? No, I just let it work. I try not to overthink it. And, you know, some, but my last design, I didn't use a horse. So I was proud of myself. But uh, no, I try not to overthink it. Like, I mean, if it works, it works. But I never want to get to a place where it's like, oh my gosh, my brand, my brand, my brand. Like, I, that, that's too much. Because, and I think if I get to that point where it's like my brand, my brand, like I've lost the essence of what design is and I'm not really being authentic. Then at that point, it just becomes a me, me, me show. And I don't ever, I don't want to, I don't ever want to get to that point where it's more about me trying to infuse something so that I can call brand rights. Um, so I, I try not to, to look at it like that. And you know what, that is actually a great segue into the last question for you. And, and it comes from Jenny. So Jenny, thank you very much. Jenny actually wanted to, to know something. And I'm curious is about this Is this Jenny well. Nichols? It is. I've been excited to talk to Jenny because I don't know if you guys saw, Jenny had like a beautiful yoga mat. I thought you were going to give me some yoga, Jenny, but I'm ready to answer your question. I know exactly who Jenny is. And, and it's a good one too. And it kind of fits into your idea of the brand. Um, okay. Her question was, can you, can you talk a little bit about your approach to designing one or two homes in a residence versus the entire house? So that, that ever popular refresh, you know, where you still have your brand as a designer, you don't necessarily want to come in with an overlay or you don't want to come on, on top of what some, somebody else is doing. You know, in a design house, you'll have your room. You're still subject to what everyone else is doing around you. In a refresh or a one or two room, you're still subject to that. What's your approach there? Um, I think with that, when I walk into a situation where I'm just designing like a couple of rooms in a house, that is an opportunity. That's when the salesperson in me picks up because now I need to show out in these two rooms. And honestly, and this is going to sound bad. I try unless my client, okay, here's the thing. I assess the space first. Sometimes I'm looking around and I'm like, okay, well, honey, you need more than just these two rooms done. So that's an opportunity. So in that case, I'm going to go over the top. Because I want these two rooms to stick out like a sore thumb. So when we get finished, you're like, this is just not going to work with the rest of the house. We've got to change it. Now, and, I, and it happens every single time, you know, especially with new clients. You know, they don't know. They don't know if they want to, you know, 
exactly hand their checkbook over to you completely yet. So they're like, you know, let's test the living room. And then that starts going well. And then, you know, they get comfortable. But uh, honestly, I feel like that's an opportunity. That's a op- unless the home is like nicely decorated and it's really these two rooms just need a little zhuzhing. But if, if I look around that, that house and I see something's not right, oh, I'm pouncing on it. I'm, I'm just curious, why do you think that's a bad thing? Designers, designers should be sellers. You, you should, you're, you're overwhelm them with design. You are, you are yeah. an artisan, you're a craftsman. This is, this is your trade. Why is it a bad thing to say, hey, I'm going over the top, then you're going to have to either fix it <laughs> or <laughs> no, do the it's, whole house. It's not, it's not a bad thing. I really think it's an education. I would, I'd rather use the word education. Um, it's my job to educate the client and to teach them um, you know, what the home has the potential to be. Uh, I never want to go in and just say, oh my gosh, we need to stick it to these people and like, you know, get their pocketbooks, take all the rooms. It's really <laughs> just about the education and, and how, you know, you can, you can show the client like, you know what, the rest of your home has the same potential. Do you shoot every project you do? Um, no. Do and you the have, reason, go ahead. Well, well, ask, what was your question? No, do you shoot every project you do? And w- the ones you do, is there a reason why you do or don't? Yes. Uh, okay, let me backtrack on that. Yes, I shoot mm-hmm. I shoot 95% of my projects. Um, sometimes I won't shoot a project if aesthetically it doesn't fit my design aesthetic. Like yesterday, um, I just flew back from Chicago. And as you can see from my... I'm a very rustic kind of clean guy. This client wants this place to look like something out of like El Decor and they want it like this Miami penthouse, like white lacquer. It's not my design aesthetic, so I won't put it in my portfolio, but not to say another magazine won't take it. So I do take it and I bank the photos for when the time is right, um, but I won't put it on my Instagram just because I don't want to put that out as my brand. But... a check is a check. Sometimes designers have to eat, especially in COVID days. That is so true. That is so true. And that is the perfect note to end this on is that everyone's got to eat, even designers, yes. even during COVID days. Um, Mikkel, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you thank guys for having me. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. Again, um, this will be, if you want to hear it again, it will be a podcast episode on Convo by Design. This has been The Showroom, presented by Walker Zanger. Walker Zanger, thank you so much, Erica. Thank you. You guys are the best partners around, and it's it's awesome. You're greatly appreciated. Thank you, Mikkel. That was fun. Thank you, Walker Zanger, for your partnership and continued support. And thank you for listening to this episode of Convo by Design. Please make sure you subscribe to the podcast everywhere you find your favorite podcast so you don't miss a single episode of the show. You can also follow along convobydesign.com and at convobydesign with an X on Instagram. For show inquiries, sponsorship, and guest inquiries, email me convobydesign at outlook.com. Be well. And until next week, keep creating. <laughs>